I'm Chris Altrock. I'm sharing some spiritual exercises from my book, Undivided. This spiritual exercise is called the Banquet Exercise. All of the exercises from this book have in common the idea of breaking down walls and instead building bridges. God wants us to live a life without walls. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verse 10, this is what God planned for the climax of all time, to bring all things together in Christ. God's loving labor is to bring together all things in Christ. Everyone and everything brought together in Christ. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 14 of Ephesians, we were separated by a wall of hate that stood between us, but Christ broke down that wall. The Bible is not really about how we get to heaven. The Bible is about how we get to harmony. It is the record of a redeemer wrecking the walls of hate that hinder connection with God, with each other, and even with our own selves. Each dividing wall that we have meticulously manufactured and defiantly defended sexism, classism, ageism, racism, nationalism, homophobia, xenophobia, pride, power, self-centeredness, self-hatred, or self-importance is the target of termination in the mind of God. The banquet exercise is one spiritual exercise designed to help us regain that harmony, that sense of connection with God, with our neighbor, and with ourself. There is more than just one me. There is an outer me, which others see. There is an inner me who exists invisibly. 2 Corinthians 4.16, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. There's more than just one me. There's an old me representing who I once was. There's a new me representing who I will become. Ephesians 4.22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's more than just one me. William Randall proposes that we think of our lives as stories, not just story. There are multiple trajectories and narratives flowing through us, taking the form of various versions of ourselves. We catch glimpses of this reality when we act out of character and then we ask ourselves, why did I just do that? That's not me. Or when we prepare for a, an interview for a job thinking, well, I want, I want to be my best self for those at this interview. Or when we suddenly realize that we're imitating the way that someone else speaks or writes or acts and we think, stop trying to be somebody that you're not. There's more than just one me. 
Trappist monk Thomas Merton once wrote, for me to be a saint means to be myself. Therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation is in fact the problem of finding out who I am and discovering my true self. If being a saint means being myself, which myself should I be? Which self is my truest self? Not only do we struggle to spot our true self, we often struggle to select which self to bring to God. The reality is that we often only bring that very best self to God. The reality is that we often believe that God only loves that best self of ours. David Benner in Surrender to Love writes, our natural inclination is to bring the most presentable parts of ourselves to our encounter with God. But, he says, God wants us to bring our whole self to the divine encounter. We might slightly edit those words from Benner. Our natural inclination is to bring our best self to our encounter with God, believing that only the most brave, the most compassionate, the most pious self within us is actually adored by God, wanted by God. Like choosing our most stylish blouse or pants among the many that are hanging in our closet, we choose our most presentable self to present to God. But God wants us to bring our whole self to that encounter. And Jesus tells a story that addresses this challenge. This is Luke 14, 16 and following in the translation we know as the message. Jesus followed up. Yes, for there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servant to the invited guests saying, come on in, the food's at the table. And they all began to beg off, one after another making excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of property and need to look it over, send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen and I really need to check them out, send my regrets. Yet another said, I just got married and need to get home to my wife. The servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged and told the servant, quickly, get out into the city streets and alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits, the homeless, the wretched, all you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back, master, I, I did what you commanded and there's still room. The master said, then go to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. The host of this banquet is Jesus. The banquet is his feast of love. The invitations to this feast are sent to two groups. We might call them the impeccable and the imperfect. The impeccable people include people at a prestigious party, people with solid credibility, stylish clothes, successful careers. The imperfect people include people that you would not expect to find at a refined regale. All the misfits, homeless and wretched, we're told. The impeccable people seem worthy of this invitation. The imperfect people seem unworthy of the invitation. Trevor Hudson urges us, 
to consider a creative reflection on this story. He urges us to imagine that this is not a story of, of different people invited by Jesus to his banquet of love. Instead, imagine it's a story of our different selves invited to Jesus' banquet of love. It's a story through which Jesus declares, I want my house full, each self invited to take a seat at his banquet of love. I want to invite you to close your eyes right now. Picture Jesus as the host of a feast of love. You might imagine an impressive hall with an enormous table filled with all of your favorite foods. Or you might imagine an intimate table in a corner in a dimly lit space with your favorite meal. Just let your imagination lead you. The important thing is that Jesus is present in this imagining. A table is present and, and several empty chairs around that table are present. Now, picture several versions of yourself. There are versions of yourself that we might call impeccable. Either they represent what you judge as impeccable or what others around you judge as impeccable. These are the versions of you that seem worthy of Jesus' invitation. You at your very best. The you that makes you proud to be you. The you when you put your best foot forward. The you that you tend to think Jesus approves of. The you that gets the greatest applause or affirmation. Imagine right now all of those impeccable versions of yourself coming and taking seats at this table with Jesus. Imagine Jesus affirming his love for each of these impeccable versions of yourself. Maybe he affirms that love verbally. Maybe he does it by presenting a gift. Maybe he hugs each of these impeccable yous. How does it feel to be a, a guest at this feast of love as the best you that you've got? Reflect for a moment on that scene. Now this next step will be difficult. You may bristle at it. You may feel resistance to it. But if you're willing now, picture the other versions of yourself. The false self is usually who we bring to Jesus, believing that our true self with all of its flaws and imperfections could never be loved by Jesus. The transformation only happens when we bring our whole self, all of ourselves, to be loved by Jesus. So try now to picture the imperfect versions of yourself. Maybe they're imperfect because you judge them to be so. The you that you are ashamed of. The you you keep hidden from others. The you you are certain Jesus detests. Or they may be imperfect because other people in your life judge them to be so. 
the you seen largely because of your skin color or your occupation or your gender or your sexual orientation? How does it feel to be at this feast of love as the imperfect versions of yourself? Imagine as each imperfect part of you arrives, Jesus affirms his love for you. Perhaps he does it verbally. Perhaps he does it by presenting a gift. Perhaps he physically hugs each of these imperfect versions of you. Reflect for a moment on what it feels like for the worst part of yourself to be at this feast of love. Take a moment at this feast and allow Jesus to love all of you, all of yourselves. Scan the room, all the chairs around the room. Trust that Jesus adores every you he sees. Rest in this. And now give thanks to Jesus for his love. Give thanks <clears throat> for his many invitations, for all of yourselves to be present at this banquet of love. Give thanks for the integration that you feel within yourself because his, of his love for all of you. And rest now for a moment in his love. This banquet exercise can be one of those ways in which we build bridges and we break down walls and experience union within ourselves and union with God. God's great desire is to bring all things together in Christ. This is Paul's language in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10. We're exploring some spiritual practices which can allow us to experience the fulfillment of that desire. The union that God desires between us and himself, between us and each other, our neighbor, and even within ourselves. I want to share with you the spiritual practice of the sign of the cross. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's desire is that you, that we experience being rooted and grounded in love. When all else feels fluid, there is one thing that remains fixed, the love of Christ. And to help us visualize this love, Paul points to the breadth and length and height and depth. Ephesians 3 and verse 18. Paul is drawing with words a picture of the cross of Christ. The top of the cross is its height. The bottom of the cross is its depth. The cross beam is its breadth and its length. And Paul is portraying the cross as the preeminent form of the stabilizing force of the love of Christ. Each word in his description not only visualizes the cross, it symbolizes Jesus' love. The word length stands for the duration of Jesus' love. How long can we count on the love of Christ, especially when so many other forms of love are so fickle? The length of Jesus' love is eternal. It lingers as long as forever. There will never be a time when Jesus does not treasure you. The word depth refers to the reach of Jesus' love. When we discover ourselves in depth, despair and darkness, caught in a cave of concern, buried beyond all hope, even there, Jesus' love reaches. No matter how low we go, his devotion drills down to deliver us. The word breath symbolizes the inclusion of Jesus' love. Earlier in the same letter, Paul portrays how Jesus' passion enveloped both Jew and Gentile, chapter 2, 11 through 12. No ethnic group escaped the scope of Jesus' love. No race, no nationality, no ethnicity makes you somehow second to others or superior to others. Jesus has a love with such breadth it can encompass every race, every ethnicity, Jesus' love includes those whose race or ethnicity often leads them excluded by others. And the word height stands for the result of Jesus' love. His love is so great it can lead you to the highest heavens, to the place of Jesus himself. His love is so great it lifts you so tall that there is no longer any gap between you and Jesus. It transports you and all others to what the early Christians called union. One practice that can help you experience and express and embrace this cruciform love of Jesus that roots you and grounds you 
is the sign of the cross. Now, admittedly, the, the physical act of making the sign of the cross has been practiced in ways that might seem a little unusual to some of us today. For example, the Egyptian ascetic Anthony of Egypt taught Christians to sign their bodies and their homes as a way of, of warding off demons. Nonetheless, it was also practiced in ancient times in ways that many of us would probably find deeply meaningful. For example, the sign of the cross was made at baptism. The heads of those being baptized and the water in which they were being baptized and the oil with which they were anointed were all signed with the sign of the cross. The sign in ancient times was also made before prayer in order to fix people's minds on God. It was made after prayer as a way of holding the gift received in prayer. The sign of the cross was sometimes made during temptation as a way of gaining strength. The sign of the cross was made at the reception of a blessing to acknowledge the fullness of that blessing. And today, the sign of the cross can be used as a physical and tangible way to rehearse God's cross-shaped love for us all. The practice of the sign of the cross goes back to at least the third century, when there are accounts of Christians using a thumb or an index finger to trace a small cross on the forehead or the eyes or on the lips. Tertullian urged Christians to sign themselves, quote, at every forward step and rising, at every entrance and exit, when we dress, when we put on shoes, when we bathe, when we dine, when we light the lamps on our couches, on our seats, in everything we do, he says, we trace this sign upon our foreheads. Making the sign of the cross grew in prominence in the 7th, 8th, and ninth centuries. And by the ninth century, Christians in the East were making the larger gesture with their thumb and their two fingers held up together, symbolizing the Trinity, their ring finger and their little finger folded in, symbolizing the divine and human natures of Jesus. And the movement in the East was from head to chest, right shoulder to left. Head to chest, right shoulder to left. But then Christians in the West moved from the head to the chest, from the left shoulder to the right shoulder. Often this move was accompanied by silent or verbal prayer, such as, in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or, come, O God, to my assistance. Historically, the sign of the cross represented three things. First, the sign of the cross is a profession. Making the sign of the cross is a twofold profession of faith. First, each time as you make the sign of the cross, as you hold your thumb and your first two fingers together, representing the Trinity, you're acknowledging your belief in and your love for the threefold God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each represented by these fingers, is one that you have faith in, one who adores you, 
And so as you hold those fingers together, you might say something like, I am loved by Father, Son, and Spirit. A second profession is that as you make the motion of the cross, you are reaffirming your belief that Jesus descended to earth, head to chest, that he died on the cross, left shoulder, that he ascended to heaven after the resurrection. And that physical movement is a retelling of a love story of Jesus Christ, this Christ who descended to earth, who died on the cross, and who ascended back into heaven. Second, making the sign of the cross is a perception. The sign of the cross helps us to recognize that wherever we are at the moment that we make it, we are in the presence of a loving God. The gesture is an awakening. Each time we make this gesture, our eyes are open to the truth that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are here in this place with us. We don't have to wait for a special day like Sunday or a special place like a sanctuary to be loved by Father, Son, and Spirit right here and now as we answer email, as we help our second grader with homework, as we hold the hand of an aging parent. We're in the presence of God. We can experience God right here and now. And so as you move those three fingers from head to chest and shoulder to shoulder, you might say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for being with me here in this moment, in this place. And third, the sign of the cross is a petition. In its historical practice, the sign was often accompanied by prayer. And so the physical act is accompanied by a speech act. As we move our hands, we should also move our lips. It might be prayer that we're saying for ourselves. We may be praying for God to help us accept what seems unfathomable, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love us with such height and depth and length and breadth. We might pray through Paul's passage here. God, help me trust in the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love that you have for me. But it might also be prayer that we're making for others. And so as we do that, the sign of the cross moves from just vertical, my love for God and God's love for me, to horizontal, my love for neighbor and neighbor's love for me. As we make this motion, we might be drawn to pray that others around us, especially those who might be left out, excluded, marginalized, might also experience the height and the depth and the length and the width of the love of Christ. I invite you to make the sign of the cross as you move through your day. And as you do, utter verbally or silently words like, I am loved by Father, Son, and Spirit. Thank you for the gift of your Son who descended to earth, who died on the cross, who rose and ascended back to heaven. Thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit, for being with me right here in this moment, in this place. Oh God, help me experience 
the length and the width and the height and the depth of the love that you have for me. Oh God, help those around me to also experience your unfathomable love. The sign of the cross is one of those spiritual practices that can help you build bridges and break down walls. The walls that exist within ourselves, the walls that exist between us and our neighbor, the walls that exist between us and God. It's one of the practices that I cover in my book, Undivided. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul explains God's vision as bringing all things together in Christ. The early Christians called this union. And union within ourselves, union with our neighbor, union with God, begins with the kind of spiritual practices that we engage in. I want to share one spiritual practice that can help you experience that harmony, that union, breaking down the walls that may exist even within yourself or between you and other people or between you and God. This spiritual practice is called palms down, palms up. The background for this spiritual discipline is found in Jesus' words in Luke 23, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus is quoting Psalm 31. There David prays, into your hands I commit my spirit. And notice the one word that Jesus adds, Father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus envisions the faithful hands of his Father. Jesus' ability to let go into those hands is rooted in his understanding of the competency of those hands. In the Bible, the, the hand is the sign of power and control and might. When the Philistines capture the ark of God, and they suffer discipline from God. The writer says that the hand of God was heavy there. 1 Samuel 5. When people are delivered in the Bible, it is by the hand of God. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Exodus 32. Jesus knows the hands of the Father. He knows how competent they are. He knows that God's hands are mightier than even what he faces here on the cross. And so he's able to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But Jesus is not only picturing the competency of these hands, he's picturing the compassion of these hands, the loving, caring, and adoring hands of the Father that he's known for all of eternity. Scripture not only speaks of God's hands as mighty and magnificent, Scripture also speaks of the hands of God as caring and loving 
and adoring. Psalm 10 says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. God's hands remember the afflicted. They bring care and comfort to the afflicted. In Psalm 95, the author says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. These are the hands of a shepherd who protects, who provides, who is present for the sheep. These are the hands that Jesus envisions when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Richard Foster writes about a practice that's designed to allow us to experience what Jesus experienced in that moment. He calls it palms down, palms up. I'm going to use his writing as a foundation, but I'm going to expand it in several places. So get yourself comfortable in a seat on a couch and place your palms down for a few moments. You might close your eyes and with your palms down, picture first things in your life that you do not desire, things that trouble you, things that stress you, things that are causing you anxiety. Try to visualize them. Imagine them filling your hands. Feel the weight of them in your hands. You might even clench your fists as if you're holding on to all those things you do not desire in your life. And now release what you are holding. Drop them down. Let them go into the loving, caring, mighty hands of your Father. And you might pray as you do this, Lord, I give to you my anger towards John. I release my fear of my dentist appointment this morning. I surrender my anxiety over not having enough money to pay the bills this month. I release my frustration of trying to find someone to provide childcare. Imagine these things dropping from your palms into the hands of the caring, mighty Father. Feel the weight leaving your hands. And rest for a moment in the relief that comes by letting these things go. And now bring into your mind some things that you do really desire in your life. Dreams that you want fulfilled, wishes you want met, needs requiring satisfaction. Visualize them. Maybe it's plans that you've been making, goals that you've set. Imagine your hands filling with these very good things that you want in your life. Feel the weight of them in your hands. And now, not simply as an act of need or requirement, now as an act of surrender. Let even those good things go from your hands 
into the hands of the caring, mighty Father. And as you do, you might pray, Lord, I release to you my plans to finally get a new job. I surrender to you my dream of owning a new home. I give to you my desire for a college degree. And as you imagine these things leaving your hands, falling into the hands of the Father, give thanks to God for the peace that comes, even by releasing things that you initially want to hold on to. Rest for a moment in that peace. Now turn your hands over with your palms up. Rest them on your lap or on the arms of a chair. These open hands represent your desire to receive whatever your caring and mighty Father desires to give. Ask God now to fill these hands with faith, hope, and love. Ask your Father to fill these hands with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ask God to fill these waiting hands with his constant presence. Ask God to grant you the power of his Holy Spirit. And imagine now these hands filling with the good gifts of God. Feel the weight, the welcome weight of these good gifts from God. Now one more turn. Palms still up. Bring to your mind some other people in your life. It's easy to bring to mind some people that you are very close to, that you feel tender toward. But you might also bring to your mind people with whom you have very significant differences, people with whom you might be in conflict, people you feel like you have nothing in common with. Now ask God to fill your hands with gifts that he desires to give to them. Ask God to let your hands be his hands, to let your hands be the way that he brings blessing and provision and comfort to those that you are thinking about right now. Feel the weight of those gifts. Feel the weight of the responsibility to share those gifts with others. I invite you, maybe every day, to practice this simple spiritual exercise of palms down, palms up. It's one way of breaking down some of the walls that keep us from being our true self, of breaking down walls that may exist between us and other people, and of breaking down walls between us and God. It's one of the spiritual practices that I explore in my book, Undivided, as we seek God's vision of bringing all things together in Christ.